Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Kristen. I'm your host and life coach, and this is Modern Day Asians. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Modern Day Asians. Today I have a very special guest for you. Um, Danielle is from my coaching elementum school and I had a pleasure of working with him and also see him go through his um, journey of navigating uh, fatherhood. And also today I invited him to talk on the show based on his multicultural background. So a little bit about Daniel is that he had um, grew up in Brazil and moved to the USA when he is 20, when he was 22 years old. Um, And he also has a background in martial arts. Right now he is um, pursuing his passion as a life coach, supporting men and um, helping dads during their fatherhood journey. So I am so excited to talk about this with him because today our topic is going to be about um, how to be a healthy father figure to uh, to your kids. Because I think, you know, as time goes on, there hasn't been really that great example of a strong male presence. And so we're going to get into that today. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Pretty excited. Yes. I'm um, so happy that you reached out to me because um, Daniel find my podcast when I started talking about my mother and um, I had a episode, can't remember the exact episode number, but it was about me reconnecting with my mother um, as I get older. And for people with multicultural backgrounds, especially if you're operating in this third space, Western culture, Eastern culture, blending in together, there could be a lot of battles in trying to figure out um, what identity you want to lead with. And it was a struggle for me. Um, as Daniel reflect back to how he wants to raise his kids and um, introducing some of his Japanese background, Brazilian Japanese background to his kids, he is exploring a topic of like, hey, how do I incorporate this into um, raising raising his kids. So I want to start off today by uh, Daniel, if you can tell us a little bit about the struggle that you've had um, trying to navigate your identity in Brazil and also in the U.S. Yeah, um, my struggle was trying to fit on the Brazilian culture as, you know, my dad, he was, he is Japanese. And um, as soon as I felt that, you know, you show my face or my eyes that I have Japanese culture, I tried to suppress that to fit with the Brazilian culture. So I kind of denied that for a long time. I would not hang out with Asian people. You know, I would avoid that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a way for me to survive especially like going middle school to high school. That's where things really kind of, it was really challenging. So, and one of the things that helped me through that, it was the martial arts that you you talked about. Because I did karate 
for many years in my life. And when I started high school, there was a group doing capoeira. It's a Brazilian martial arts. Mm -hmm. And I felt called to, not because it was just Brazilian, but I felt like, wow, this is something that I really want to try. So I, I didn't give up karate, but I switched to the, that martial arts. And that really also helped me to create more connections into the Brazilian culture. Mm -hmm. But um, I suppressed a lot, you know, the Asian side of me for many years. Yeah. How Can you tell us about like, your name and identity and your relationship with that too as well yeah so you mean the nickname that we talk about yeah. it yeah okay yeah. let's go there so um when I was 21 I started working in a surf shop and it was three Daniels there so we had to nickname literally you have to nickname everybody because it was a problem with the sales because there's too many Daniels and you wrote the last name. It's like, no, no, just change the name. And one of the guys says, you're going to be China because I have, you know, Asian eyes. And I said, no, I'm not from China. I'm Japanese. He's like, perfect. You're going to be China. I was like, no, dude, I'm not Chinese. I'm Japanese. Yeah. And from that racist joke, it became Shin. And my nickname became Shin. And I carried that for many years, and I still do, you know, I, I became, I embraced that, but looking back, as we just spoke about it, it was, a, you know, not a very nice way to nickname someone, but that's what I went through, and through the coaching, through Elementum especially, I started to connect more with my real name, mm -hmm. I was like, my name is Daniel Yoshimi, and mm -hmm. even the last name, I remember growing up, I would like to hide that. I didn't want anybody knew that I was Japanese. And today, yeah. I'm like, I can speak. I'm proud of of that name. I was like, yeah. I wanna, I wanna be Yoshimi. That's me. Yeah, yeah. That's so. Ha I'm so happy to like hear that story because, um, me growing up too as well. It's it's almost like um, I get those jokes all the time said to me that we all look the same. All Asians look the same. Or, and they don't really care about, you know, if you try to correct them or whatever, they don't really accept it. It's just complete arrogance and ignorance. Even if you do try to educate them <laughs> on that. And it just becomes very frustrating because, you know, in certain environments, you know, you look different and you just like, don't even want to draw more attention to yourself at that point. And so our names are so important because that is our identity and that's what we lead by. And I was curious, I asked Daniel this question because his nickname is Shin. And I was like, well, how did you get that? You know, because uh, is that a middle name or whatnot? And, and so it's one of those things where, you know, if you have your name, like embrace it because that is tied to your culture, your background and to hide that is not fully accepting who you are in this in this world what you're given in this world um but I can definitely relate to the ridicule too as well um where people judge me based on my eyes or they'll literally like slant them um or make fun of my eyes and you know I've gotten compliments too on them too as well but I think you know just growing up in school and stuff it was a lot more like even insulting kind of embarrassment and then um, but I mean, eyes in general are just, it's just such a sensitive topic for Asians. I think that grow up in the Western world, we have very complicated relationships 
with the shape of our eyes, um, especially with females like marketing and everything like that is really tailored to certain kinds of eyes. And, um, but that's, you know, that pretty much the, the f- reinforcement of like, oh, Asian people have small eyes and they're squinty and this and this, like, it just uh, one of those stereotypes that still is very, really prevalent to both men and women. So anyways, want to move off of that. <laughs> Thank, obviously I'm impacted by this too, as well. I have this like, <laughs> whole background with you know just the topic of talking about eyes because I've faced racism myself too as well and you were in Brazil and you faced that you know the same thing over there um so I think we can definitely relate on on that so let's let's talk about your your childhood your uprising there was a big event that happened to you in our previous conversations between your mom and dad you can tell us about that so when I was 13, my parents got divorced. And by that time, they didn't explain anything. It was just like, we're going to get divorced. Mom's going to leave here. Dad's going to leave there. And that's it. So I was like, what's going on? You know, and that was a huge event that I didn't realize the impact of that mm-hmm. until later on in my life. Um I, you know, doing the coaching, going inner child, I would find that that 13 years old by himself many times, you know, sitting in a, the memory that I, I, I come to me is sitting in the kitchen, eating by myself. And then I'm like, I don't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. And from that memory, I started to build up, okay, well, what's going on here? You know, why are you afraid of being alone? Why are you are alone? And I was like, well, my dad left. So I started to looking back what's going on. Um, it was a long way on my teenager years until I decided to move to US. So I moved mm-hmm. to US when I was 22. Um, two years after that, I came back to Brazil to visit my family. And my dad said, I need to talk to you. And he said, and I was like, my dad never talked to me. <laughs> I was like, well, he needs to talk to me. You got to be something serious. Um, and he said, you know, your uh, sister is not my daughter. And I was shocked. You know, she didn't look Asian at all. I have mm-hmm. friends that make fun of me. Like, dude, she's not your sister. It's like, dude, let's not even go there. She's my sister, you know, because that's what my family has told me. And I truly believe that. And then, um, so my dad told me that, and I was shocked. You know, I was like, dude. I, I, she's totally different than my, we have, I have another sister, older sister. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's totally different. And that day, here's where things got interesting because I started making the connection. I came to my mom and I was really frustrated. I was really shocked. I was felt betrayed by my mom because she didn't tell me that. Yeah. Because my mom was the one that was educating me. She mm-hmm. was there working. She would get up super early, make the, the lunch, leave a note, leave a note in the mirror, brush your teeth, you know, super cute, super loving. Mm-hmm. And she broke my heart there. And from that day, I made a, a, a kind of connection of like, well, love doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that really affected me in every single relationship after that. 
um, with cheating, pornography, with not, it's, it's interesting because you look for a relationship that you cannot get intimacy. You cannot get a deeper connection with the yeah. loved. You want a superficial connection because that's all you can handle. Anything yeah. deeper, it was not safe for me. I would step away. Yeah. You know, some some of the girlfriends that I had were like, no, let's be together. I was like, no, that's too much. I'm going to move on. Or I would mm-hmm. cheat on her. It's like, oh, I have a lot of girlfriends. I'm sorry. So yeah. going back to that episode, I, I was heartbroken because I want to hear from my mom because she was more present in my life than my dad. Mm-hmm. I had, I have many memories. I'm so grateful for my dad for teaching me surfing, putting me in martial arts. I mean, you know, he will, I had, I always like to say I have um, quality time instead of quantity time with him. But my mom on the other side is educating me, is, you know, the day-to-day they are making sure I brush my teeth, make sure I mm-hmm. have food, you know, mm-hmm. struggling to work, to pay all the bills. And then I was like, wow. I, I didn't realize that until later in my life. Yeah. But fast forward to 45 years old i you know i have this this um somatic presence when my mom would come i wouldn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. and i didn't realize that i was like oh this is something normal and i started to realize that no there's something here so i call my mom and say mom i, I need to talk to you and i'm going through the same time through these coaching containers i was mm-hmm. getting coached uh, in a container and my coach is like yes um I totally support you if you want to do this talk with your mom that's that would be amazing and I was shaking I was like so nervous because I've never had a talk like that with my mom yeah you know and I know that she loved me I love her but I was like I gotta ask her it's like I why didn't you tell me mm-hmm. you know, that, that that was it and she explained to me that she was afraid of me leaving and all of that and you know, I definitely asked more questions, understood more of her situation and made me feel more compassionate about her story. And from that, I started my healing towards intimacy. And I was able to create a connection with my wife that I did not have it. Yeah. And that was really deep. That was something that I did not understand, that I didn't know that exists. Mm-hmm. So... I hope I'm keeping the line here. <laughs> you tell me if I'm going all over. But then I go to Elementum and I'm like, wow, this is a, that's what I want to teach fathers to have this intimacy, to have this connection that I never knew that was possible. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, if you see the world today, we have such an easy access to pornography. We have so many platforms of communication. It's just crazy the, the, how quick you can get into that. And I was like, what, what that causes to you? What's the effect of using pornography? And I started to dive deep into that subject. And I was like, wow, I feel, and that's my story, that will affect your intimacy with any, you know, even if you're gay or not, it's going to affect you. Because there's many things that pornography does. Just an example is you see these three people and, you know, four people, all these images is very exciting, overwhelming, but that's mm-hmm. not their reality. You know, you're not going to go back home and lay down the bed with your wife. And so you're kind of making um, a illusionary 
picture of what sex is. Yeah. But just going back to the intimacy, because sex, intimacy is not just sex. I start to really apply my wife. We like hold her hands, like feel her heart. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a ritual that I do in the morning is not just say good morning, is to give her a hug and hold her for a few sec extra seconds than normal. Mm -hmm. And even when I don't want to do it, because not every morning that I want to say, give this hug, <laughs> but it became a ritual. And I'm like, wow, this is very connecting. Yeah. And layer by layer, I started to, you know, increase this intimacy, like level by level. And I was like, this is one of the most important tools for a father to have that. Mm -hmm. Because from that intimacy, the, your kids will see, will feel that as well as you're going to build this intimacy with your kids too, mm -hmm. which that I can tell that I didn't have that with my parents. Yes, absolutely. I think um, with like parents with like immigration backgrounds and things like that, they like my parents in particular really didn't do a lot of holding or space to talk about feelings. Any no, that did not exist. Um, <laughs> there was no space for that. And I think you made a really great point earlier. Um, everyone, we keep mentioning this this like program called Elementum. It's a coach in coach in training program, and we are taught modalities or techniques that we use with other students. So when he's talking about oh a container that he um, was receiving coaching in, we practice those techniques on each other with our real life complications, challenges. So with everything that was been done, it's so important that if you want to do some of this deep work, find yourself a great container um, to be able to explore all of that. Because Daniel's journey didn't just start at like, oh, you know, I was having all these relationship problems. He did a lot of deep work and was able to chase it back to that particular moment where he felt heartbroken by his mother. And that impacted the way that he felt about females moving forward, the feminine energy, how he received that, how he presented himself. He completely closed his heart off. And that is how, you know, one particular event can affect all of your um, future relationships from just that point. And, um, and so just wanted to recap, like this whole story that Daniel just told is all, is all um, work that he has done. Let's just say maybe like a year or something like that. It was a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah, yeah, before Elementum. And, you know, the Elementum, you know, when I thought, I was like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm good. And then like Elementum came and I was like, no, I got a, a lot more work to do. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, for a man in the Western world, that's why I want to talk about, you know, being a healthy father masculine presence that figure because we don't have a lot of examples of that you know myself the way I grew up my dad was my stepdad was very uninvolved let my mom did most of the parenting so I did not get a healthy uh, father figure that was involved or it could help hold me in a safe space uh, so that kind of groomed me to be also really present in my masculinity where I have to get things done. I was the oldest kid and I didn't have that model there for me. And so I have to pretty much come up with 
either um, finding what the healthy presence is or making it up myself um, because there's not a lot of great examples out there, which is, which makes Daniel's work like super important for fathers. So um, going back to, to um, what you said, Daniel, um, when you're talking about like wanting to be a good role model for you, because I love that you talked about intimacy because in Western world, there's like, for men, it's like really for some is like homophobic if you're like too yes you know if you're like too soft this can be seen as weakness and that's like the most toxic thing I've like ever heard because <laughs> it's just like fear of being like you know homophobic or something like that but tell me a little bit about like how you are um inviting more men to be more in touch with that side of them yeah in you know when I found like who I want to teach, who I want to coach. Um, it was obvious for me it was fatherhood that came super strong. Um, I thought it was would be pornography first, um, but I started to dive deep in. I was like, you know, there's more layers into that. So, and you know, our paths, our journeys, or the universe started to send me towards that father energy. And that wasn't one thing that I always knew I was going to be was a father. I always knew that. And I always wanted to be a good father. I want to be a present father. But I didn't have the tools for that because my dad didn't teach me that. And I even asked my, his dad, my grandfather, I was like, how was your, your, your father? He's like, your grandfather didn't talk to me. He was very strict, would work, work, work. And that was it. And I kind of understood more how he was with me because he was close to, and also he had his struggles in life. And when I look back and I was like, I want to be this father, but I wasn't. And I was like, okay, I ran a restaurant for nine years, which was a crazy uh, business. I think you, you had one in your family too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was consumed by, you know, crazy amount of hours so I wasn't present for nine years and pandemic came and I started working less I started being more present with my kids and that was like one of the very beginnings of like whoa what do I really want mm -hmm. and I couldn't really go back after the pandemic to the restaurant we closed and I was like that's it now looking I have a four years old I have a 13 years old in a few days and at 14 and nine of those years I wasn't present with my kids yeah and I was like well I want to repair that so and the way to repair is also teaching that preaching that and I start to because when you're teaching you're preaching you are actually working on those things and I was like this is what I want to do, how I'm going to get better on this, what I need to do. And I was like, okay, practice with my kids. And the first one was like being present with them, just the presence, because nowadays, um, for busiest that this, you as a father can be, you still have the time that you can give full attention. Maybe it's 20 minutes, but that, if you give you 20 minutes of full presence and attention, your kids are going to remember, they're going to understand. So I think I'm going over your, your question, but um, that's how nowadays 
you know, when I'm going to go coaching these fathers, because I'm, my work is focusing on fathers, you know, I want to know what their wounds, how can you be more present for kids? You know, a lot of them, the issue is pornography. It's not an issue. They don't think that's an issue. But a lot of the men nowadays just use pornography. And I was like, okay, let's find out what you're getting from that. Mm-hmm. Or what is your, what are you trying to hide using that? Yeah. What do you don't want to feel it? Or what are you looking for? Yeah. Um, did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, two great things that came up. And I really love that you said that presence was a big thing that you teach your clients. Um because even if it's like 20 minutes of just straight presence, because kids will remember the moment, but not the time or the, the, the quantity, but they will remember the presence. And the other thing too, as we take a look at the male role, you know, that the um, father figure usually is like the provider. And um, I would say my parents too, as well, when they ran that restaurant, they had no life. It was restaurant 24-7, highly demanding, super hard business to make a profit out of with very minuscule like like reward back. Basically, the amount of time that you yes. put into running in, into a restaurant and the benefits you get out of it, you pretty much sell parts of your soul away because you do. of how hard there's so many moving things to run a restaurant. Um, so I understand that pain, but it was very difficult for my parents to be present. Yeah. Um, but I like how you mentioned that, okay, even if you are very busy as a father, just focusing on making it an intentional present moment, making effort to be present for your kids will make a huge difference, even if you don't have a whole weekend to spend with them. Yes. And I think, you know, my father, I remember I have great memories of him because I didn't have the whole time with him. He would pick up us on the weekends, but I have strong memories of him, you know, teaching me how to surf or playing tennis or the martial arts classes. So it's important for a father to know his role in the family because yes. with the feminine movement, with I don't have anything against um, a lot of men got shy of like really shining as a father, as a leader of the family, as the role model. And that's important for our kids to see that, to see that there is a leader, there's there, there's someone to look up to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to teach, not just my four years old, which is a boy, how to you know be a man in this world, but also for my my teenager girls, because they see, hey, this is the kind of man you want to chase. A man that's present, a man that is is caring, is loving, can cry with you, but at the same time can get your hands and say, you know, it's time to get up and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to care if you need, but we're going to go, you know? So I wanted them to see these qualities in myself. And that's why one of the most important um, things for a father is to put work on himself. And that, you know, and I understand, you know, I mean, oh, it, it's, I'm so busy. And I was like, you know, I, I get it. But for example, you know, um, I, 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 I teach them in, um, how can I say, I teach them how to be not, not, a, I don't want to say effective, 
But I want to say, you know, use the right words, use the right communication with them. Because what you want to build with them is connections. Keep connecting with your kids. And of course, going back to the presence, it's very important for, you know, I, I have some rules, you know, when we sit down at the table, there's no cell phone. And, you know, th th this kind of little things are very important because on the end, you're giving your presence for them. And that's what, all they need. I love you mentioned um, leader too as well. And I think it comes, do you think it comes a lot down to the confidence and the esteem um, for a man to develop to become a good leader? Yeah, confidence is is really is really really important. But you're gonna get that from from your role model. You know, you're gonna you're gonna understand that from your father. When you know, sometimes we use wrong language for our kids. You think you're empowering them, but you actually not. You say, "Oh, I don't think you can jump this." So you're already telling them that they can't. Mm -hmm. You know, instead say, come on, man, I know that you can jump. You know, I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to support you. I'm going to hold you if you fall. Come on. The, 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 this kind of confidence, sometimes on the language, the sarcastic language yeah. that we live in a sarcastic world, everything's a little sarcastic here. <laughs> and I learned that too. I have to take that off me. But this confidence is also a process. You know, as I mentioned to you before, um, as I go through this process, you know, all my self-worth, um, understanding that I am worth of love, because when I broke that connection with my mom, I was like, wow, I'm not worth of love. She, she, if she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, we make it up, these things, because if she didn't tell me, it's because she doesn't love me. Mm. And I was like, okay, of course, that is not true, but that's what I understood when I was 24. So I got to make sure I go there and I look at the memory. And what did I made out of that understanding right there? Yeah. And how can I now understand from 45 years old what happened there? So once I start to understand, I was like, no, I'm a wolf of love. She, she wrote like brush your teeth on the mirror. She would leave a note. Here is the lunch. You know, there are so many ways she showed me that she loved me. Yeah. You know? And when I got all the way around this whole uh, story, my self-confidence got way higher. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that my martial arts sparring from two years ago is different than today. I'm older, but I'm way more confident. I didn't have this confidence that I have today. And I, I go back to say this comes just from that moment that I realize that something is wrong with me. My mom doesn't love me. Mm. And when I go to the whole side, I say, no, she, of course she loves me. What are you talking about? She's like, you know, and my mom is so present in my, you know, she lives like um, a mile away from my house. She's there every day. Mom, I need this. She'll come and do it. She's always there. And I'm, I'm, hold on, what you're making it up is not true. Mm -hmm. So that was another big truth for me to finish this round and say, wow. And that was one huge part of my confidence. Like just like trusting myself, like, wow, I'm way more confident than two years ago. And when I think about that, I think that that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a wonderful, that's a, 
wonderful story. I mean, it's a great example of how much you've made those connections. The more work that you do on yourself, the more you invest back into yourself. I think one of the biggest um, struggles um, for men is because they don't have great role models, um, healthy, masculine role models. Where do you suggest or help people find those great figures because um there's just like a lack of example the media isn't great tv definitely isn't great for that <laughs> yeah where do you find ex- great examples of that i love I, I love that question and you know uh there's no simple answer for that because we want to be their role model um for men i think one of the important parts is to jump into this man work like a man's group for example where you sit down with a few a few men and we're going to talk real talk here. We're not going to say how was the NFL game, who win the tennis <laughs> match. We're going to talk about what's going on in your life. And when you're talking, we might tell the truth like, hey, dude, I don't think that you're telling me the truth. You know, and you're going to start to face each other and, you know, be humble and be loving, you know, be vulnerable with those guys. And that is where you start to actually become the role model because you have a group of guys with no judgment there where you can share things and they can reflect back through without holding anything back, you know, and that's one place that, that I think men should look at it is, you know, of course the coaching containers are great, but men, men's group is something that really helped me to understand a little bit more. What is a role model? What do I want to be? And with that was, you know, I was in a few men's group and I was like, you know, I want to do a group on fathers because there is a difference of a man and a father. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to go that route and I started to, and I actually create my own container with where I coach only fathers to come into this container with, you know, we had six fathers and it was amazing to have that uh, exchange, not just for them, but for me as well, because mm-hmm. I learned a lot from that too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think um, the easy uh, answer, it, it is to to look up into those man work and see there's a lot of people doing good work, you know, on Instagram um, that working only with fathers or men's. And I think that's a great place to look. Definitely not the media, definitely not uh, <laughs> those places. The TV will not teach you much. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I want to go back to the cultural side of things. Um you are of Brazilian descent. Also, you have um, Japanese culture as well. And you live in America. You live in California, currently in Maine. So, how, <laughs> <laughs> and what's cool because of your martial arts background, I'm sure your kids love this, but you've introduced them already to sports. And that has history to it, that has tradition to it as well. So just out of your uh, curiosity, how do you plan to incorporate and expose them to more of the Asian culture? Um, You know, martial arts is definitely 
you know, my call because I've been doing that since I was, you know, a little kid. So I definitely, um, my girls, they did martial arts for many years, for about 10 years each. Um, and I think that will have an impact for the whole life as the, a structure of, you know, discipline and also a way to use their body. You know, if they're going to, they play volleyball now, but they, their skills that they learn in martial arts as controlling your body is very important for that. So I think martial arts was the first thing that comes to, to my mind. The second one is the food. You know, um, I, I share with them, you know, uh, we make a sushi night and I share how my grandma used to bring just like loads of raw fish. It was like, it was not this pretty thing you see on the sushi rest. It was like just a pile of raw fish and, you know, fresh fish and we would just eat with rice, you know, the, and I try to re remind them those memories where they come from, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes, um, every opportunity because one thing about parenting you have, you have so many opportunities to teach them during the day even your teenagers which teenagers don't want to listen to you you have those opportunities it's about you to really being present to be able to catch those opportunities and say yes your grandma used to do that mm -hmm. you know do you know that in japan they do this so yeah. it's it's a slow process is more like a remind them where they come from yeah. and with that I call my dad, you know, after your podcast, I listen to your podcast, like, I got to call my dad. I want to know more. Uh, and that's when I call my dad and say, dad, tell me about grandpa. He's like, dude, grandpa wouldn't, didn't talk to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went back and forth and he started sharing me more stories. And I was so glad that I did that. Um, because now I can tell my kids those stories that my dad told me about his dad and, you know, it goes back and it's beautiful to not get that lost. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I want them to feel proud of having this Japanese strain in their blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm uh, so happy that you like ask those questions that a lot of times our parents aren't going to tell us things but we have to be the one to initiate the conversations. Like when I worked on my relationship with my mom, you know, as, as you know, many times she has hurt me, it actually the more um, open and vulnerable I was with her, the better our communication got because I realized she just wanted to be recognized or she just wanted to be recognized and seen for her hard work and sacrifices and the way that we talk to each other is um, wasn't reflected of that. So I had to change the way I communicate with my with my mother in order to see change. So if you want to reconnect with your parents, I think that um, first of all, yes, it is hard to be the first person to like initiate that. It could be scary, but it is worth it to try. Um, especially if you get into the point where you've like healed yourself or if you've gotten to the point where you've done some work on yourself and you might be ready for that conversation, but to have it anyways, because would you rather not try and realize and look back in your life and wish that you tried? The other thing I was gonna say is uh, I love food history. So when I look into the ingredients of like any, for instance, uh, I did an episode on like food history and I learned a lot about ramen, <laughs> like how, um, how ramen became a popular convenient product and now it's like taking the world by storm because 
they have these really innovative like ramen restaurants now where you go in, there's so many flavors. And it came from the fact that there was a wheat surplus um, from the U.S. after the war and they didn't know what to do with all this wheat. So, you know, there was a venter uh, that lived in Taiwan, but actually moved to Japan and married a J- Japanese wife. He saw her frying tempura. So he decided to fry the noodles to dry them up so that it's really compact and small. And when you when you um, put it in hot water, it'll expand. And so he created this recipe from a time in history when there was a lot of something. And I just love how um, how history ties into all the ingredients and all these foods that ends up um, being a a trademark dish, you know? So that's one way that I learn more about Asian culture is with any food, any recipes, it's great to just take a deeper look into the ingredients, where it's sourced from, the geog- geography has a lot to deal with, certain ingredients are in the food, also influences, there's um, slavery that happens, other cultures mix into wherever that country is. And because of all that movement, you get something really, really delicious. So as you can tell, I'm a big foodie. <laughs> I love food. I love food, but food history tells you a lot about culture, culture that you probably don't even recognize. But um, but that's one way that I learn more about culture. Yeah, I love that. I want to I want to talk about that quick. But going back to your parents' conversation, just for you that's listening and don't know how to approach your parents, because I had a call today with one of my clients and, you know, there's the issue the family's like, I don't want to deal. It's like, well, you know, I know that I know that he wants to deal with the family. And I say, you know what, instead of confronting them, ask, just ask them, how was your childhood? Just to open the conversation to understand what they went through. How was when you were young? Because like for you on your mom's episode that you mentioned, like, oh, what she went through, you know, it's good for us to know what they went through. And that opens you a window to have more compassion too, and to understand a little bit more of the past. And then you can say, oh, I felt that. Now I know why sometimes you behave like that towards me and goes on and on. Um, and on the food, you talk about slavery in Brazil. The slaves came from Africa. And that, that's where my martial arts came from. It's called capoeira. Um, the slaves um, developed that in Brazil, the African slaves. But going to the food, um, that, there is a dish called feijoada, which is a black bean stew. That's a very popular. And every Saturday is like a tradition for the whole Brazil to have that dish. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... That dish came from the slavers. Um, they would chop the pork and the white people would get all the good parts. Oh. And the not so good parts, the ear, the tongue, the feet, we would put away and the slaves would cook that with, with beans. And from that came this national dish that nowadays is so popular in Brazil. And I love that you brought it in. Right away, I thought about like, oh, slavery, that dish, that's how it came. And that's, you know, a big part of the Brazilian culture. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so um it's so cool because like even if you try to erase it, like even if you forget like what happened in history, like the food says it all. It's like why do we use this cut of meat in this particular stew because it's like what about, you know, it's like who uses this part of the animal anymore? 
and then you're like oh that's why yes um but uh yeah I I um love that you have that great example too as well to share we are coming close to the end of our time together is there anything you would like to share um you know just any takeaways uh, before we close close out our session I think just, um, you know, what I'm being passionate about at the moment with the fatherhood is if there's any fathers listening or even wives, is important to do to grow. The growth is one of my values because as I grow, I learn more, my family will grow more. So I think it's important for, you know, um, <clears throat> for this leader of the family to look at as like, are you learning more? Are you, what are you getting from things you're doing? So um, I, I love to, you know, being, listen to podcasts, read books, and kind of relate to how can I be a better father? And I think this search is very important and became one of my <laughs> crazy addiction passion um, to do is to where can I get better being a father? And I think our kids deserve that because we're going to change generations and generations to come. And, you know, um, if you break the cycle of your, you know, grandfather not being too nice and you become that father that's breaking that tradition, let's say, because we, you know, we behave like our parents taught us. And I think when you start to learn more, you start to understand that, no, there's more ways to be. And I think that's one thing that I, you know, I love for fathers to get into this strain of like, let's learn, let's become the best version of, our, of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. Thank you so much. I um, just wanted to add to you as well, if if you're in a, you know, in a place in your life, you're trying to explore more of your ethnic background. Um, some other ways to explore that is there's music that you can listen to, like different genres of music within uh, the country that you're trying to explore. Um, there's also like holidays you can look more into. I've been recently doing that myself because uh, Asian Chinese holidays aren't very popular in the U.S., only like maybe Chinese New Year. But some of the other holidays I haven't like done too much digging into. I just know like the food, <laughs> the food that's tied to that particular culture, but not necessarily knowing what the holiday is celebrating. So those are some ways that you can get more exposed to it. Also, dance is a great way, especially in Latin culture. There's so many types of dances that you can explore also super fun to um, get into. Daniel March um, mentioned martial martial arts too as well. I was always like super drawn into martial arts because it looked really cool on TV. <laughs> and I just want to fight the bullies away, you know? So I explore some martial arts as well. So those are some ways that um, also visiting the country itself. Um, Daniel, you've mentioned that you might take your kids to Japan um, at some point of their lives just to experience the, the culture, what the local people do and eat and how they live. So those are some ways to um, explore your ethnic background if you haven't had the opportunity to. So thank you so much, Daniel, for sharing your story. Daniel Yoshimi is 
Um, you can reach him on Instagram. He has his own website. I'm going to post everything in the show notes. Dad in Progress Coaching is how you can find him on Instagram. Um, please give him, uh, please check him out. If you're a dad or even know someone that um, this message can relate to, please check him out. And thank you guys for listening this week. I will catch you all next week.